Here we are today, two days after Christmas, and what we want to do today is look at a few of the things that happened after Jesus was born. Two things, or a few things that we can consider and look at and think about that happened after the birth of Christ. So Luke chapter 2, verse 21, we read this, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So here we see that eight days after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph had the baby Jesus circumcised. Now here's the question, why the eighth day? Well, we know in Scripture that eight is the number of new beginnings. And a birth of a baby is a new beginning, right? I mean, there's a lot of new things that happen when a baby is born. There's a lot of changes that happen. I mean, everything changes in your life. It's both a wonderful time and a stressful time all wrapped up in one. It's a mesmerizing time. I mean, haven't you, don't you remember when your child was first born that you'd find yourself just at times just, just looking at him, you know, looking at her, staring at them. It's a time, it's mesmerizing and it can be agonizing as well because, you know, you start, you don't get any sleep and you're having to get up several times, you know, during the night and the baby's crying and it was funny, this Christmas Eve, wasn't our Christmas Eve service amazing? Such a great time. <clears throat> But there, after the service, I was out in the lobby, and, and one of the girls who used to go to school here was here, and she actually had her new baby, her newborn, first baby, um, that was about six months with her, and, and uh, we were, you know, talking, and she was, you know, so excited, and she was saying just, you know, how amazing her baby is, and it sleeps through the night, and it barely fusses, and all of that, and I told her, I said, that's incredible, that's so wonderful, and I said, but give it time, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> because we know that's going to change, I mean, our, our grandson has been living with us the last two years. I mean, we're in the midst of all the different changes, you know, that are happening. But so Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day. That's eight is the number of new beginnings. But there's an even greater reason why God instructed his people to have a child, a male child, circumcised on the eighth day. Because you see, scientists have discovered something that God knew all along. You see, that circumcision was to be carried out on the eighth day because of some great medical importance. Because you see, the level of vitamin K is the highest in the human body on the eighth day. And vitamin K plays a pivotal role in regulating and controlling the clotting factors and the coagulation of the blood that helps the bleeding stop. Now, if the baby was circumcised any sooner or later, the baby could bleed to death as the vitamin K level is only at that level on the eighth day. So once again, we see that the Bible is, or science, I should say, is catching up with the Bible. And it's always that way. Now, the thing that's interesting here, God says, I want you to circumcise the male children on the eighth day, but he doesn't say why. In other words, Israel, they just had to trust him. And think about this, okay? You who recently had a child, or even if you haven't, just think about this. You, you, gotta, you have to circumcise your own baby. You know, they're doing that. Think about how hard that would have been. 
But God says, I want you to do this, but he doesn't say why. They have, they have no idea why. They have no idea the medical factors that, that God knew. But so much in the Christian life, it's that way. God gives us commands. He gives us direction. He lays out things in his word that he wants us to do and follow, but he doesn't tell us why. He just says, I just want you to trust me. Now, we, we want him to lay it all out, right? We like to see the big picture, but that's not faith. So often in faith, it's like God just gives us a little bit and he says, I want you to trust me. I want you to believe in me. I want you to cling to me. And I want to encourage you today, if you want to have a great 2021, live in this way. Stop questioning God's word and just follow it. Just follow it. Just trust him. Now, we also note from our text that on that day, the baby was given this, his official name, and this baby's name was Jesus. That's what the angel Gabriel had told Joseph when he came to him and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, and that he was to name him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. You see, the name Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Yahshua or Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. And this is the perfect name for this baby that God is sending into the world because Jesus was coming into the world to save us from our sins, that he was coming to offer a complete salvation for us because that's what Jesus does. Jesus, you see, saves us from the penalty of sin. We call that, in theological terms, justification. That's what happens when you give your life to Jesus, when you recognize what he did on the cross to pay the price for your sins, and you embrace that, you put your faith in that, God declares you're justified. And that word justified means that you have been declared righteous. That's how God sees you. That's how he sees you today. He sees you righteous in Christ. And it's not because of anything that you have done, but it's because of everything that Jesus did and you placing your faith in him. You've now been placed in Christ and that's how the father sees you now. He sees you as righteous. Jesus came to save us from the penalty of sin. Justification, God declaring that you are righteous. But Jesus also came to save us from the power of sin. We call that sanctification. The word sanctification means to be set apart. It's how God enables us now through the resurrected life of Jesus living in us. He enables us now to walk in a newness of life. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, he would say this of believers, that we are now more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. The life of Jesus living in our lives. So that's sanctification. Now it's been said that justification is the miracle of the moment. Happens in a moment. You, you go from sinner to righteous just like that when you put your faith in Jesus. That's justification. Justification is the miracle of the moment. But sanctification is the process of a lifetime. Because our whole life as a believer, we are learning now how to walk in the power that Jesus has provided for us. So Jesus has come to save us from the penalty of sin, justification. He's come to save us from the power of sin, sanctification. And he will one day save us from the presence of sin. And that's called glorification. That's what happens when we leave this place and we go to heaven and we're with the Lord. Suddenly we're in that realm where there is no more sin and there's not even the effects of sin. 
There's no more shame. There's no more sickness. There's no more guilt. There's no more death. And that's the hope that came into the world when Jesus was born. He came to save us from our sins. So Jesus was circumcised the eighth day. He's given his official name, Jesus, that spoke of his mission that he had come to save men and to save us completely. Let's pick it up in verse 22. It says, now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord that every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Pause there and give me your attention. So now we're 40 days after Christmas. We're 40 days after Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph, note this, they're still living in Bethlehem at this time. And when a mother gave birth, according to the law of Moses, she would take 40 days, the first 40 days, to heal, to rest, and to bond with her new baby. And at the end of that 40 days, the parents were to take their little baby boy, they would take him to Jerusalem in order to present him to the Lord. This was their form of baby dedications, that they would come and dedicate their newborn uh, sons to the Lord. And as part of this dedication service, the parents were to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, the typical sacrifice was a lamb, however... If a couple was really, really, really poor, it was allotted to them in the law that they could offer two birds, two pigeons, or two turtle doves. And I want you to notice here that we're told that Mary and Joseph, they offered two birds. Why? Because they were really, really, really poor. In other words, that's the kind of family that Jesus was, was born into. That the Son of God leaves heaven and comes to this earth to be born into a family that was really, really poor. A family that was needy. And so from the very beginning of Jesus' humanness, Jesus was put into a situation where he could identify with our struggles. He knew what it was like to have want. He knew what it was like to be needy. He he wasn't some rich kid who was, you know, born, came into this world with a silver spoon in his mouth. I think that's encouraging for us to note. But, you know, when you think about Mary and Joseph and what they brought, they actually brought more than what was required because they didn't just bring the two birds. They also brought the lamb. They brought the lamb. Remember, it was John the Baptist who, when Jesus was coming down into the Jordan River to be baptized, what did John say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so they brought the birds, but also they brought the Lamb. And so 40 days after his birth, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to, there in Jerusalem to be dedicated to the Lord. We'll pick it up in verse 25. Notice what it says. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
Now, it's interesting that this man, Simeon, he was probably a retired priest. That's why he's hanging out in the temple area and he's giving blessings. Tradition tells us he was 113 years old. His name, Simeon, means means hearing and obeying. But I want you to notice what our text says about him. Our text says that he was a just and devout man. He was just before men. In other words, we would say he was a man of integrity. And he was devout before God. In other words, he was a man who was devoted to God and he was committed to God. But I also want you to note it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And notice the C there is capitalized. Why? Because this is an eschatological term, meaning that he was waiting for a person. And not just any person, he was waiting for the Messiah. The one who would come to console and to comfort and to redeem the nation of Israel. And not just Israel, but he was coming to redeem the whole world. So here's Simeon. He's waiting for and looking for and longing for the coming of Messiah. And that's why I suggest to you that he was a just and devout man. He's waiting for the Messiah and he wants to be ready for when the Messiah comes. And I think there's a great application for us in this because the Bible says that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are also to be waiting for and longing for and looking for the coming of Messiah. This time, him coming for his church. And you see, if we are living as a people who believe that Jesus could come at any moment, it's going to affect the way that we live. If we are people who believe that Jesus Christ could come at any moment, that we also then will be people who are just toward men and people who are devoted to God. You know, John, the apostle in 1 John chapter 3, his epistle, he writes, he says this about those who are waiting to be joined to Jesus. I love this passage. He says, behold, now we are children of God and it is not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed that we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. Can I get an amen to that? We're not just going to see him, but we're going to see that we're like him, that the transformation has been complete. But then John said this, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Here's the point. If we truly believe that Jesus could come at any moment, our lives are going to be given to purity and not carnality. We're going to be those who are seeking to be devoted to God, committed to God. People who have as our first priority to grow in our relationship with Jesus. So here's this guy, Simeon. His name means hearing and obeying. He's described as a man who is just and devout, who's waiting for and longing for and looking for the coming of Messiah. And notice what else it says about him in verse 25. It says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. In other words, this is a guy who is full of the Holy Spirit. 
This is a guy who is in tune with the Holy Spirit. And and again, this is a great example for us. In 2021, I pray that all of us, that we would be a people who are waiting for and looking for and longing for the coming of Jesus. That we would be a people who are aware of the times that we are living in. That we would be a people who literally believe that our time is short so that we will be those whose lives are marked by purity integrity, and devotion to God. That we would be people who are seeking to be full of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we're seeking to live daily dependent upon the Holy Spirit. That we would be people who are seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of guy that Simeon was. He's a great example for us. Now, it's interesting here that Simeon has been given a pretty radical revelation about the Messiah and his relationship to it. Notice verse 26. And it, hap- it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's another way of saying the Messiah. Verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. So Simeon takes this baby in his arms and he gives this declaration, this blessing to God because he realizes this is a special baby. This baby is going to be a light to the Gentiles. This baby is going to reveal the glory of Israel. But he says something really, really interesting, Simeon does in verse 29. Something that God had showed him about his own life. Look at it again. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon realized that hope has been born and his name is Jesus. And when Simeon realized that God's promise of hope for the world had been born, he says this, and now I can depart in peace. And I suggest to you that it's only the person who has had a true encounter with Jesus Christ, embracing him as their Lord and Savior, who can say those words. Now I can depart in peace. Because you see, in essence, What Simeon was saying here is, now I can die in peace. Because that's what death really is. Death is a departure. Your spirit goes out of this body. It departs and goes to heaven. And so in essence, what what Simeon's saying is that I'm not afraid to die. But here's what I want you to catch. It's not just hope in death that Jesus assures us of, but it's also purpose in life. When Simeon says, now I can depart in peace, the word depart that he uses here is a word that is pregnant with meaning. 
And I want us to consider this today because I think it has great application for us as we consider, you know, as we think about, you know, having hope and death, but also not just hope and death, but also what God has for us in this life. There's four definitions I want you to consider of this word. The first is this one. It means to release a prisoner. And, you know, the older that we get, the more that this body seems like it's a prison, doesn't it? Because it just doesn't, it doesn't function like it used to, right? It doesn't do things that it used to be able to do. I was an athlete. Notice I said was. I was an athlete, you know. And what's interesting is my mind still computes. My, my mind still remembers. When I try to get out and, you know, play some ball with the younger guys, my, my mind, like, is saying, okay, stretch this way. But the body just doesn't go there, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to play basketball, and I, I mean, get the, I mean, in high school, I used to be able to dunk a basketball, okay? I, really, I had some hops. <laughs> I did. But now I get out there, and the mind says, okay, jump. <laughs> I can get about that high off the ground right now, you know? <laughs> the body, the older that we get, the more it becomes like a prison. And two hip surgeries later, you know, it's, it's like a prison, you know? It doesn't work the way... That it used to. But here's the good thing that Peter says. Peter says of you and I as followers of Jesus that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope. It's been said that Jesus beat death so that death doesn't have to beat us. That's our hope. We talked about this in our first Corinthians study in chapter 15, where Paul the Apostle said of our bodies, he says that this mortal, these bodies is one day in heaven, it's going to put on immortality. That's what we have to look forward to. The prisoner is going to be released. Yeah, amen to that. But you know what? In reality, that starts the moment we give our life to Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus said in, of himself in, John, in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he said, I've come to set the captives free. So it starts with him setting us free from sin and from guilt and from shame and free from the bondage of sin. That we begin to walk in our relationship with God in this freedom that he has for us. And the freedom that we experience in this life walking with Jesus is merely the precursor of what is to come. That in heaven we, we, we experience the fullness of the prisoner being released. Another definition for this word depart is to unyoke a beast of burden. And again, I think that's a great picture because this life is filled with many burdens. And the beautiful thing is that none of these burdens follow us into heaven. We could say that heaven is a burden-free zone. But again, we don't have to wait until heaven to start experiencing relief from our burdens because Jesus gives this grand invitation in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says to all of you who are weary and burdened, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus, you see, is the great burden bearer and we can experience that even now. A third definition for this word is the word depart is to take down a tent. And what's interesting about that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul literally says, he says, our bodies are like a tent. And we know that tents are temporary dwelling places. 
Nobody wants to live in a tent. And that's the point that he's making. He's, hey, your body, it's a tent. Why? Because this place is temporal. And Jesus is always wanting us to realize that and remember that life here is temporal, but what's waiting for us is eternal. That's why I like to remind you all the time that later is longer, you know? We get so wrapped up in this life and thinking that it's all about here and the 70, 80, 90 years, if we're unlucky, you know, (laughs) that we live. If you're 90 years old, I don't mean that as an insult. God bless you, but I personally don't want to live till I'm 90. I don't. Because the body's a prison. (laughs) I want to go to heaven. I want to go see my dad, you know. I want to go be with Jesus. But the thing is, is is we take down the tent. And Jesus is wanting to remind us this life is temporal. In fact, Jesus challenges you and I to live our lives in, in this world with an eternal mindset. He challenges you and I to not live for the temporal, but to live for etern- the eternal. In Matthew 6, when he says this, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, he says, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And if you put your treasure in the things of this life, this is where your treasure, this is where your heart's going to be. But if your treasure is in Jesus, if your treasure's in heaven, if your treasure's fixated like, hey, I can't, I want to get closer to him. I can't wait to be with him. You know, it's been said that we can't take it with us, but we can send it ahead. All the stuff that we put so much emphasis on here, we're, we're not going to be able to take that with us. None of you are going to be pulling U-Haul, U-Hauls into heaven. You know, None of you are stopping at the pearly gates and honking your horn. Hey, let me in. Where do I park this thing? No, it's not going to happen. Okay? Can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. How? We send it ahead by investing in God's kingdom. We send it ahead by being a part of, of, what, of his kingdom. We send it ahead by having our focus on the things that God is most focused on. And so, this word to depart means to release a prisoner, to unyoke a beast burn, to take down a tent. But this is my favorite word. This word depart, it means to untie a ship from the dock. Most of you know I love to go kayaking. I have some kayaks when I go down. It's kind of my favorite form of ex- exercise. I go down and kayak around the, the harbor there in Oceanside. And I, I do that as often as I can. And, and I got to tell you, in the years that I've been doing that, there are some boats down there. In fact, there are a lot of boats down there that I have never, ever seen not tied to the dock. Somebody owns it, but they never use it. But you see, that boat was made not to be tied to a dock. It was made to get out in the ocean. It was made to sail. It was made to cruise. It was made to feel the wind in its face. And so too, you and I have been made to live in a vibrant relationship with God. We've been made, we've been saved. We've been redeemed to experience God. 
But some of us live like that boat tied to the dock because we never ever go deep with the Lord. We keep everything on the surface. Or we never ever take steps of faith that allow God to to lead us. And we allow God to show up in our lives. Are we never, ever, you know, break out and just following the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And it's like we're, we're tied to a dock. But Jesus said in John 10, I've come that you might have life and that more abundantly. But listen, abundant life is experienced when we press into Jesus. Jesus gave us this promise, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. So what he's saying is, hey, don't be content with a surfacey Christian walk. Press into the Lord. Abundant life is found when we take steps of faith with Jesus and experience him meeting us in these incredible moments where we discover that his grace is sufficient for us because his power is being magnified in our weakness. And it's in those moments that we really experience this abundance abundant life that we have been made for and heaven just becomes the culmination of the life that we're already experiencing now that's why jesus said that he who comes to me and believes in me he'll have everlasting life guys that's a quality of life that begins right now in walking with jesus and the culmination of it is when we get to heaven and everything is stripped back and we see him as he is and we become like him So listen, if you have had a true encounter with Jesus, you can have the same hope that Simeon declared here. A heart full of peace and a future that's marked by blessing and adventure and satisfaction. So Simeon starts by blessing God for his gift of salvation. And then he blesses Mary and Joseph. Look at verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, I just have to say, this is not what you want to hear at your child's baby dedication, right? A sword is going to pierce through your heart, you know? It would be like if, if some, someone's here having their, their child dedicated and, and I look at them and say, this child's going to cause you a lot of pain. Now that's probably true, right? Children do cause some pain. But that's not what you want to hear. I mean, I, I can picture, I know what would happen. If I, if I started doing that, it, we'd get calls. I'd like to get my baby dedicated and I, like, I would like anyone else on staff except for Pastor Rob to dedicate my baby. You know? <laughs> that's what, that, that would be the result of that. But what's interesting here is that Simeon, this guy who has been waiting for and looking for and longing for the Messiah, this guy who's a devout man, a just man, full of the Holy Spirit, he's clued into something that everyone else in Israel missed about the Messiah. And it was this, that the Messiah is going to suffer. You see, the people of Israel ignored all the Old Testament passages that spoke of the suffering Messiah. They missed the reality that in God's plan, there was actually going to be two comings of Messiah. The first is he was going to come as the lamb. 
He was going to come to suffer. He was going to come to give his life a ransom for many. He was going to come and go to the cross and take our punishment so that our sins could be forgiven. He was coming the first time as the lamb to be our savior, but he is going to be coming again the second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah, as the one who is going to conquer, the one in whom his kingdom will have no end. His first coming was necessary for our salvation. It was necessary for our forgiveness so that we could experience this abundant life. But it's in his second coming that we will see our full redemption as Jesus is going to make everything right and everything new. So Simeon has this insight about this baby that he was born to die. That he was born to go from the crib to the cross to save man from his sins. That Mary's heart would literally be pierced by this child and what would happen to him. Now, before we go today, there's one more thing. I want us to consider that it happened after the birth of Jesus. And that's the coming of the wise men. And this is probably one of the most misunderstood things around this time of the year because in all our songs, you know, we have, in all our nativity sets, we have the wise men right there with the shepherds, you know, to, to see the baby Jesus. And there's always three of them, although the scriptures don't tell us how many of them there were. There might have been two. We think there's three but because they bring three gifts. There could have been two. There could have been 20. We don't know. But here's what we need to understand is when they come, they don't come to the stable, They don't see Jesus lying in the manger. How do we know that? Well, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, this is what it says about the wise men. And when they had come into the house, everyone say house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Notice this. They come to the house, not a stable. They come to see, it says, the young child, not a baby. This phrase, young child, literally means a toddler. So when they show up, Jesus could actually be about two years old. Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem. So if you really want to make your nativity sets accurate, next year, take your wise men and put them out in the front yard. Okay? (laughs) That would be more, more accurate. And it might be a you know, good conversation piece. Your, your neighbors would be like, why are your wise men in the front yard? You know? Or go put them in your neighbor's yard. That would be even better. You know? <laughs> but what's interesting is these guys show up in Bethlehem to a house, a modest little house that Mary and Joseph, because they're poor, are living in. And, and their response to this little toddler is interesting. They worship him, and they bring gifts to him. Now, worship is the proper response in coming to a king. And Jesus is the king of kings. And these guys somehow know and realize that this is who they're coming before. They come into his presence, and and they're just struck. I I wonder if it's almost like what we see when we get a glimpse of heaven, of the angels. They're falling down and just crying, holy, holy, in God's presence. And these these guys come in to the presence. They've traveled from the area of Bethlehem, or from Babylon, about 1,500 miles. And they come in to this. They see this little toddler, and they they fall down, down and begin to worship him. And then they give him these gifts. 
Interesting gifts. The gift of gold. Gold is a great gift for a king. Kind of an odd gift for a toddler, you know. Think about your three-year-old's birthday next year. You know, somebody gives him a gold bar. He's going to be like, what do I do with this, you know? They bring the gift of frankincense. Again, an odd gift, but it's a great gift for a priest. Because frankincense made up part of the oil that the priest would use in their anointing. And so these are two great gifts for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is a kingly high priest. The Bible says that he's a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he became a man. He walked in our sandals. He he knows. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus came, and this, this gift of him as the priest, this picture of him as the priest is so that we can understand he knows what it's like to live as a human in this dark world. But the gift of gold to a king, it reminds us that he's capable. He, can't, he doesn't just sympathize with us, but he's capable of helping us navigate life in this dark world victoriously. But it's the third gift that's really, really interesting. They bring him the gift of myrrh. And myrrh was an embalming fluid that they used in embalming the dead. Now again, picture this. Baby shower, you're there, everybody's opening their, their gifts, you know, the, the gal's opening the gifts that have been given, and here comes your gift. I mean, she's got, you know, baby clothes and a car seat and all these kind of things, and then here comes yours, and it's a bottle of embalming fluid, you know? <laughs> you know how weird would that be, right? But it was the perfect gift for this baby because this baby was born to die. That's why he came into the world. But I gotta wonder if these these wise men traveling, you know, months and months and months through the desert are are wondering to themselves, why are we bringing embalming fluid? Why myrrh? Did they know, or were they just following the direction that the Lord had given to them? We see, though, in these wise men, the proper response in coming before Jesus, that we are to worship him and bring gifts to him. And that's really what Jesus wants for each of us, that that our lives would be in 2021 marked by a living worship. That our lives would just be, Lord, I want my life to be a life where I'm just, the way I live my life, devoted to you, living worship. And the only gift that Jesus really is interested in is our hearts. He just wants our hearts surrendered to him. And that's what he has for you today. He came. He left heaven, came to this earth, became the, this, born as this baby who would grow to be a man to go to a cross so that he could save you from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and that you would be able to one day have that hope that he would also save you from the presence of sin. That you could live and experience abundant life in following Jesus. And if you have never, ever given your life to him, I want to encourage you, do it today. Just tell him, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gift that you have given to us in your son. Such a precious gift. We thank you that Jesus came to save us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. 
And he will one day save us from the presence of sin. We thank you that he is a kingly high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses but is also capable of helping us walk and live, that he gives us through his resurrected life, his power to navigate through this life victoriously. And God, I pray for all of us here that know the Lord, that our lives this coming year would be marked by a living worship devoted to him. And that our lives, that we would find ourselves living with an expectation of you working in our lives and through our lives and looking forward to your coming. Lord, let it be this year. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But Lord, I pray for anybody here that that maybe doesn't know you, hasn't given their life to you, that even, Lord, right now, I pray that they would just take that step of faith right now in the quietness of their own heart in this moment to just simply say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need my sins forgiven. Forgive me. Cleanse me. And from this day forward, I want to I live for you. I want to walk with you. Make that your prayer today. Lord, we give you the rest of this time. In Jesus' name, amen.